0: You're listening to the weekly podcast by Forest Hill Church. Here you'll find a place to grow in your faith, get to know what the Bible's all about, and hear what it looks like to follow Christ. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org. If you're a parent, search for our new Forest Hill Parenting Podcast and subscribe to get new content tailored just for you. My first memory as a child is of my father standing over my mother. She was passed out on the ground. Basically every form of abuse that could be present was present in my home. I was about 17 years old. When I left my home, I had just had enough. I was laying on the ground with my father's hand on my throat and just, I was done. I threw everything I owned into garbage bags. I moved in with a friend. I worked three jobs to support myself. And as difficult as that was, It was far better than being where I had come from. I was 21 years old when I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. I met my ex-husband just a few short weeks after getting here. And while it had been really great at first, it didn't take long to see old negative patterns and behaviors in relationship come out. We didn't speak with a filter, we just said whatever hurtful thing came to mind. And eventually that led to a physically abusive encounter. After the birth of my first child, I knew that I had to get out. I knew that it was bad, but I was afraid. I didn't think I could do it on my own. Being a single mother was terrifying to me. So I waited until I had three kids and then decided to leave. I could see that the negative impact of our relationship wasn't just affecting us, but my kids as well. So we made a mutual decision to end our relationship, and I became a single mom in an effort to find comfort and solace I started having relationships with married men really anybody who would pay attention to me they were unhealthy relationships they were negative relationships and they just made me feel even worse about myself I already felt like a failure I already felt like I had no worth I had nothing to offer if my dad couldn't love me and my ex-husband couldn't love me who could so I decided to take my children to the small Methodist church down the street from my house and even though i was in church and i felt safe and i felt comfortable and it feel worthy of being there and it feel worthy of god's love and it feel worthy of being in a place where people acknowledged and recognized him i found myself in tears every sunday not even being able to look at the worship leader as he sang the songs but there was one sunday where my head was low i couldn't even stand up but i heard jesus very clearly say to me it's okay jody You just need to come home. You just need to come back home. And I knew that I had worth. I knew that somebody came for me and I felt loved. I felt worthy. And as I took steps in faith, I watched him redeem every part of my life. About two years later, I moved into an apartment complex where I met Joe. And he was a single dad with three kids. He's patient, he's kind, he's generous, he's loving. And as we have made Jesus the focal point of our relationship, I've watched my family be transformed. We worship together. We serve together. We grow in love together. And Jesus has taken me places I never thought I could go. I've been able to take that redemption story, that that rescue story, and share it with people all over the world. He's allowed me to take that broken hurt sad little girl and use her redemption and her transformation story to reach other people. He's given me the gift of His love, of His grace, of His kindness. And He's shown me that the greatest gift He gave me here on earth was His love, but it was also one another. It was the people He's put in my life whose story I'm able to impact by sharing my own. He's allowed me the gift of hugging every person I come across. And if just for a moment I can share His love with them through that hug, every time I wrap my arms around someone, it's my mission to give them a little piece of Jesus, a little piece of His love and and value and grace and redemption. Because we're all worth it.
1: God for stories like that, where people within this place feel as if they have been made worthy by the love of God and their lives have been redeemed and transformed. Thanks for coming, being a part of our service, as well as happy July 4th week. Hope that you'll be able to celebrate that well. We bring in a brand new series uh, this weekend on the one another. Uh, The idea that there are over 30 one another passages in the New Testament, one another's or each other's. That actually informs the way that we're supposed to live. I think it's kind of timely, especially in light of the fact that on July the 22nd, we'll have the Forest Hill United Worship and Vision Service for all campuses, a family-friendly event. As a matter of fact, the first part of it is completely free. So at 8.30, the doors open. Families are able to come. There'll be some fun activities for for, for the family uh, unit. And then at 9.15, we begin our worship service. That'll go for a little bit more than an hour. Uh, Again, all of that part is free. If you want to stay for the game, that'll cost you. You can do that online if you want to stay at 12 noon for the Knights game. And David's going to roll out the vision for how he's going to call our church to be unleashed, equipped and unleashed as missionaries facilitating transformation in our community. So you want to come and be a part of that. But before we can, I believe this, before we can identify exactly what we're supposed to do out in the world, what precedes that must be who we are And who we have been called to be here. If there's going to be a significant impact beyond, we've got to make sure that there is an impact going on within us as well. And so that's where this particular series come because the scripture informs us as to the quality of our fellowship from which transformational ministry can happen. So we're going to take a look at many of the one another's scriptures. For instance, there are things like be at peace with one another, honor one another, forgive one another, confess your sins to one another, stop judging one another. And so we're going to take a look next week at what it means to be accountable to and for one another. Week after that, forgiving one another, and then later on, to be unified with one another, especially as we deal with crossing racial and ethnic boundaries. Today, we'll start with what it means to love one another. Loving one another is a foundation from which all the other one another's come. It starts with an understanding and an appreciation of experiencing the love of Christ as well as our love with one another that fuels and funds everything we do in his name. But as you probably well know, there's a lot of confusion out there about what love is or how love is defined, and we've got to be very clear on that because even for people who profess to know Jesus Christ as Savior, because unfortunately it seems as if, The world is influencing the church more than the church influencing the world. Simply because you're a Christian doesn't mean you've got that answer down patent. Right now in the United States Copyright Office in Washington, D.C., there is listed over 10,000 songs that have the word love is in the title. Over 10,000 songs. So I thought I'd bring a few of those songs to you. For instance, love is a beautiful thing. Love is a losing game. Love is for suckers. Love is mystical. Love is a funky thing. Love is the drug. Love is at your side. Love is all around. Love is all we have left. Love is on the way. Love is here to stay. Love is gone. Love is lost. Love is like oxygen. Love is like a rock. Love is like a violin. Love is like an itching in my heart. Love is blind. Love is blue. Love is free. Love is greed. Love is noise. Love is a four letter word. Love is a five letter word. Love is a rock. Love is a rose. Love is a silent thief. Love is a stranger. Love is a camera, a loaded gun. Love is only a feeling. Love is not real. Love is the truth. Love is the answer. Love is the key. Love is war. Love is a battlefield. Love is poison. Love is suicide. Love is pain. Love is to die. Love is strong. Love is stronger than death. And love is the end. That's what it says. Which is it? You know, we're kind of confused on what that is. So I'll tell you what, let's do. Let's see if we can find some clarity on the definition of what love is from the scripture and through Jesus Christ. As he is gathered with his disciples in the upper room. Here's a context in John chapter 13. It's not before Jesus is betrayed, not before his death. And at this particular point, he has already done the Passover meal. And he's made particular significance to him being the sacrifice lamb. He has washed the disciples' feet. He's had to hear the disciples argue about who was greatest. And he didn't make that list in their conversation. He has already dismissed Judas to go and take care of business as Judas begins the process and the final phase of betraying Jesus. And now he is with his closest friends. And he's going to communicate a word to them for several chapters. But we're going to catch just about two verses of that from John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. And in the honor of the reading of God's word, if you are able, let me ask you now to stand. And there's only two verses here, so I'm actually gonna ask you to read these words out with me that Jesus spoke to his followers from John 13, verse 34 and 35. Read it with me. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus, I pray that as these words continue to resonate in our hearts and our spirits, that you will forge our fellowship in such a way that makes your presence real. Not just in this room, but in our lives, and thus in your world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm thinking on this evening with his disciples that on a couple of different occasions, the disciples' minds were being blown. Jesus is continuing to establish very clearly that he is their leader. That his leadership trumps the laws that come before. That his teachings, that they also supersede whatever traditions that they have. Jesus is reformatting, He's already reformatted the Passover in the sense that the Passover had been celebrated for centuries before to celebrate God's liberation of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Jesus, however, says that this Passover meal is centered on him. That when Egypt, when they experienced the Passover, the Passover from death in Egypt, that Jesus is saying that he is this Passover or the Paschal Lamb through which the world can be saved from the dominion of sin and death. And then Jesus moves further into this commandment. Because the original commandment was... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And yet Jesus is going to up the notch a bit. So it's very important. Let's first of all identify who is Jesus talking to? What is the reach of this passage? The reach of this passage are to those who are in the room, his disciples. At this point, let me say this. If you are here today and you do not have, A saving relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, you've been checking church out, you've been checking Christ out. So glad that you are here, want you to keep coming. This message, in a sense, does not apply to you. There's no expectation of this message on you. Jesus is preaching and and speaking to those of us who know him. His disciples were those who'd followed him, they traveled with him, they'd seen Jesus do all kinds of things. They'd heard him preach, they'd watched him do miracles. As a matter of fact, these disciples were given the opportunity actually to do miracles and to preach and proclaim. When they had questions, Jesus would call the disciples together and he would share things with them that he didn't share with anybody else. They were part of Jesus' confidants. He gave himself to, to them freely, lovingly, intimately. They know him. Jesus is speaking after three years of ministry to the men who know him the best, his followers, his disciples. If you're here today and you profess a saving relationship to Jesus Christ, then allow the echoes of the words that Jesus says to his disciples also to hit you. Please understand, loving your neighbor, loving the world, it's still on the table, but the specific focus and reach of this particular passage is to the one another's under Jesus' authority. Which also brings up what the radical resources that Jesus offers. The radical resource that Jesus offers, and that's basically this, love one another as I have loved you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, throughout his ministry, would say certain things like this. He would say, you have heard it said, but now I say to you. The idea there, you've heard it said in the law, in the traditions, you're supposed to do this. Jesus says, I am superseding that. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to make sure that it took its proper place. To fulfill it and also to fulfill it in you. For instance, he said, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that if you even have lust in your heart for a woman, then you've committed adultery. He would say, do not murder. I say to you that if you harbor anger in your heart towards your brother, that you've committed murder. Jesus would say when he was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus had said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because that's part of what the law said is love your neighbor as yourself, but also hate your enemies. Jesus says, I tell you this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What Jesus now says in this commandment, in his new commandment, changes things. Understand this. He doesn't mess with the first part. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that stays, doesn't change. That's assumed to remain in place, that you are to love God with all you are and all you have. But the second part of his commandment is different from the first. Can you see the difference? In the Old Testament, it says, love your neighbor as how? You love yourself. The new commandment is to love one another, how? As I have loved you. Jesus actually kicks it up a notch he makes it absolutely impossible for us to do except with the resource of his love in other words you should not leave this place if you're a follower of Jesus Christ you should not leave this place saying I'm going to love people in in my own terms no quite frankly loving our neighbor as ourselves that's pretty easy because we can love who we like We can love the people that are like us. We can love the people that agree with us, love as ourselves. I mean, I can treat myself really well, but there's some people that I don't even have the time for. Jesus says, no, beyond loving people as you love yourself, you love one another as I have. Folks, that's expensive kind of loving. Here's what that means to love the way that Jesus loves us. Here's the character of Jesus' love. Number one, Jesus' love is a love that is aware. He sees stuff. He sees everything. He saw the, the, the disciples. He knew what they were like. Those guys were a bunch of knuckleheads, right? The things that they did, the things that they said, how they conducted themselves, and yet he still loved them. Love, true love, is not blind. True love sees everything and yet still moves with affection, with an intention for benefit in the direction of the person being loved. Love is aware. Number two, love is selfless. You see that in Jesus' life. That Jesus was not about his own preferences. Jesus was not about what he liked. Jesus was not even about his own survival. He placed the benefit of others ahead of himself because, number three, love is sacrificial. That kind of love seeks to go to the utmost lengths and pay whatever price is necessary for the ultimate good of someone else. Love is aware Love is selfless. Love is sacrificial. Jesus says you are to love one another exactly that way. Love each other as I have loved you, as you and I have experienced love. And we find, therefore, that the the new commandment comes with a new capacity. There's a sense of relief that Jesus says, no, 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 don't love people with your love. That'll run out. Love them with mine. But here's here's a precursor. You can't love anybody with the love of Jesus unless you experience that love yourself. The disciples, they were kind of clueless about what was going on. They never really registered what Jesus was about to do, his death on the cross. But after the resurrection, and especially after they were clothed with power from the Holy Spirit, they would understand John 15, 13, when Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends they would understand the enormity and the magnitude of the love of Jesus Christ. And here's what Jesus says in verse 35. He says, here's a result. The result of that kind of love is proof of your union with me. You love like that and it proves to all people that I am your master and that you follow me. That's the natural or supernatural byproduct of living our lives the way that we should, is that the people of the world will identify that you and I are followers of Jesus Christ. Which is interesting. In the first several centuries, the term Christian was not a term of of honor. As a matter of fact, for for those being called Christians, it was a term of ridicule almost, that they were following this dead Nazarite. In the first several centuries, as they watched the, the pagan world, watched how Christians loved one another. The pagans would say such things like this. See how they love one another. These Christians love each other before finding out whether or not these people should be loved. They love each other so much they love it before knowing if they deserve love. The idea there was love for Christians was naive, was stupid. Why in the world wouldn't you wait for a while to see if the person you're loving is worthy of your love? And so pagans, even though they hated Christians, they opposed them, they jailed them, they persecuted, they killed them. They could not help but make the notice on observations begrudgingly that the love that Christians had among each other was undeniable. Jesus could have said anything. As a matter of fact, there should almost have been a pause that when Jesus says, by this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you teach, if you preach, if you have read the Bible several times, if you've memorized every stitch of Scripture, if you've prayed for hours of the day, if you've brought more people to Christ, if you've given away so much of your money, that's how people will know. If you spread the gospel to everybody else, that's how people... No. No. He says, you loving one another as I have loved you, by this will all people know that I'm your master, that you're my disciple. That's the litmus of the love in us through Jesus that proves to the world we belong to God. Christians were known for that love for for centuries and to a certain degree they still are but folks today, I, I, I don't know about you but after reading some of the things that I've read written by Christians who all of a sudden believe that they are automatic publishers and book writers because of the things they put on blogs and posts and have you seen some of the articles that have taken place and then people have their comments on the online just the comments in response to the articles and you've seen some things from Christians folks it's embarrassing the vitriol the bitterness the resentfulness the abuse, the profanity, the obscenity that comes from people who believe in Jesus Christ simply because people disagree with them. It's as if there's they've decided I'm just going to say whatever I want to without any regard for the Christ that's over them. Folks, that's got to that's got to that's got to stop. It's amazing to me that in our very tense environment, depending upon what particular political or cultural or moral issue you can have, that your relationship with another follower of Jesus Christ can be destroyed if you don't pick the right party, can be destroyed if you don't agree on the right social issues. And we will part ways, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine, and he and I had this great fellowship together, but when I mentioned a particular view that's not fundamental to Christian faith, but just a particular view. That I disagreed with, he looked me square in the eye and said, That's unbiblical. And our relationship was done. It was over, never repaired. I was like, You gotta be kidding me. Folks, how in the world do we allow anything on this planet to divide us from the spirit of the one who made this planet did to bring us together? My friends, that ought not to be and we need to put a kibosh on anything that would separate our union in the one who died to secure that union with one another and him forever in a country where we still in a country where we still have the freedom to worship no government can take away our freedom to follow and no government can take away our freedom To love none, especially family. We must defend our right and call to love family as Christ has loved us. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. But because of what Christ has done for us and our receiving of that, it transforms us from the inside out and transforms the way that we live so that our lives reflect this kind of love from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, never fails. My friends, with all of the one another's in the New Testament, over 30 of them, they were not inscribed as options. Options. And the Spirit inspired that. The Spirit didn't do this as, as if to say, let me offer you some suggestions. No, all of them, to love one another, be at peace with one another, confessors, all of them, they were inspired with an imperative, with a loving command. And yet, in the church, it seems as if those are looked at as like optional. Let's, let's go to, to, to the other side for a second. Can you imagine? What your life would be like, what this church would be like, right here at the South Park campus, what the community beyond us would be like, if we who professed Jesus Christ as Savior actually committed ourselves all the time to live as if the one another's were not optional if we made no excuses, if we didn't compromise, if we continued to rely upon the Holy Spirit and upon each other to live out those one another's in a way that reflects the one who commanded and empowered us. Can you imagine what that would be like? Stop judging one another. Honor one another. Be tender-hearted to one another. kind, forgiving to one another. If we actually, all of us, without excuse live that way you don't think there'd be like a major like halo over the church a beacon of hope for humanity because there's a community that actually lives according to the character of its master folks here's the thing if we're going to have to if we're going to love one another if we're going to obey this command the number one we're going to have to do this we have to love the lord We're going to have to love the Lord. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus actually issues a command. He says, a new commandment I give to you. Not a new suggestion, a new alternative. A new commandment I give you. Here's the thing that I think you and I have got to answer. A couple questions. Number one, is Jesus talking to me? Number one question. Is he talking to me? Are you talking to me? Is he talking to us? Is the one who is the risen Savior, is he actually referring to me in this commandment? Here's the second question Is Jesus Christ actually Lord of all my life? Not just Lord of the cosmos and Lord of everybody else and those people over there, is he Lord of every aspect of my life? Can I just go ahead and say this? If the answer to that question, for those of you who profess to know Jesus Christ, if the answer to that question is no, he's not really Lord over every aspect, and he's not Lord of any of it. You don't make excuses for what Jesus is Lord over, if he is Lord. But that means he's Lord over the way that I live, the way that I love. Because if Jesus Christ is Lord, this is the one who came to the world as God in the flesh, who poured his life out upon a cross as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, but victoriously rose from the dead. The one who is coming back to reign with power and authority. This is the one who absolutely is Lord. Then he's talking to you. He's talking to me. And there are no exceptions but folks he doesn't say that as a militaristic commander this is a new commandment you must look <laughs> that sounds really kind of weird doesn't it no on the night before his death with his closest friends he says my friends i'm giving you a new commandment a refresher of what you've understood something that kicks it up a notch but something that makes it very clear that for you to do this i'm gonna still have to be working among you but that starts off with our desire to say okay jesus you're calling the shots If you're Lord of my life, then you call the shots on every aspect of my life. That's the first question you've got to determine. Is Jesus Christ the Lord? Well, then love him, and everything we do flows out of our obedience and love. The question number two is now, the issue number two, if we're going to love one another, is this love others as we have been loved. And here's where it gets a little funky. Because there are many people in this room who profess to know Jesus Christ who have experienced at one time, if not even right now, difficulty actually receiving the fullness of the love of God. As was mentioned earlier on, some of us in this room who have been walking with Christ for a short time, a long time, still feel as if God's just tolerating us. That God puts us over in the corner that, that we're still not really worthy. We watch other people and we wonder, man, God really loves them. I don't deserve that. Listen to me. The almighty, holy, and righteous God of this universe, who is fully justified in delivering his wrath, his justice upon every human being because of our rebellion against him, did not lower the boon, but lowered his son, into this world, to live a perfect life, to be an example of what mankind should be and to show us an example of who God is. This one who is perfectly sinless and righteous, he came and lived the life and sacrificed himself to death on our behalf, taking upon himself the penalty of our sins and the justice of of God for every human being aware of what we've done aware of what we're doing aware of what we will do and still paid the price but that same one rose from the dead and he offers all of us the pathway to new life can I say this to you there is nothing you have done or can do that will outstrip the grace and the love of God for you. He came for you and gave himself completely for you and for me. For those of you in the room that are, that are not believers in Jesus Christ, he came for you as well. That is an unvanquishable, infinite, inexhaustible love, that you cannot exhaust the degree to which I resonate receive experience appropriate that love will determine the quality of my loving other people so if I ask you how your love is with other people the what, you, what the real question is, how have you been at receiving the love of God? Because the capacity of our being able to love others as we were called depends an awful lot on receiving that love, and to know that that love has redeemed, has transformed. Here's the thing. If you receive Jesus Christ, here's the thing. You are forgiven. You are accepted. You have been reconciled. You have been redeemed. You're in a process of transformation, and it's a guarantee that you will spend eternity in the presence, in the love of God the Father Almighty because of Jesus Christ. He loves you that much to secure that place now and forevermore. But here's the thing. If he loved me that way, and some of, so many of you would raise your hands and says he loved me, then here's the deal. The person that's next to us, regardless of where they are on the spiritual spectrum, he loves them that way too. So here's the deal. If God loves the person next to me that much, then I can too. I must as well. Heather King, who was NPR commentator and writer, She's a recovering alcoholic, gave her heart to Jesus Christ, and she records her first experience with church. Here's what she says. My first impulse in church was to think, my God, I don't want to get sober, or in the case of church, worship with these nutcases, or boring people, or people with different politics, taste in music, food, books, or whatever. Nothing shatters our egos like worshiping with people we did not handpick. The humiliation of discovering that we are thrown in with extremely unpromising people, people who are broken, people who are misguided, wishy-washy, out for themselves, people who are us. But we don't come to church to be with people who are like us in the way we want them to be. We come because we have staked our souls on the fact that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that the church is the best place, the only place to be, while we all struggle to figure out what that means. We come because we would be hard-pressed to say which is the bigger of the two scandals of God, that he loves us or that he loves everybody else. The family of God is a collection of people who have failed before God, but in Christ, They went from being worthless to being priceless, every one of them. And therefore, it is our calling and our privilege to make sure that we treat those who are around us with the honor and the love that's given to us. Thirdly, we need to leverage our lives for one another's. If we're going to love one another to fulfill that command, to leverage our life for one another's. First John chapter three verse 16 says this, "By this, we know love that He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how do, does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or deed, word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If we're going to leverage our lives, number one thing, we've got to get close to people. We've got to grow in our proximity. And for us to grow in proximity, getting close to people, we're going to have to probably stop doing a lot of the routine things we're doing that excludes people. And take some time, make some time to actually get close. Rather than doing recreational stuff on our own, maybe to some of the people that are in our lives to say, hey, come with, do this with me, let's spend some time together. Number two, we're also going to have to grow in familiarity. To get to know people. To get to know who they are. Can I give you a real easy way to do that? Ask a question and wait for the answer. There you go. Ask them a question about what they love, what they like, where they, where, where they come from, their background, and then wait for the answer and listen to what they're telling you. Find out about their interests. Find out about their hopes. Find out about their fears. Find out about their hurts. Jesus Christ was completely aware of the disciples' habits, hurts, and hang-ups. We can do the same thing. We can celebrate what's common. We can respect differences. But the bottom line is want you can't really know someone really well without knowing them better. If we're going to love one another... People deserve to be known. So do you. But then finally, we need to grow in generosity. In generosity. Here's something about generosity that I think. It's this. Doing the best you can with what you can, when you can, with what you have. Doing the best you can, when you can, with what you have. Whether that's time, whether that's a listening ear, whether that's being generous with your friendship, generous with your forgiveness. But it's showing to others the same thing that was shown to us by faith in Jesus Christ. To love one another, to fulfill that command, Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment, love one another. As I have loved you, so you also must love one another. By this will all people know that You're my disciples if you love one another. Last night at the end of of the service, I went home after preaching this message. And uh, how many of you are familiar with the artist back in the 70s and 80s? Keith Green. Anybody here remember Keith Green? For me, he was a model and an idol for a Christian musician, very prophetic. And it's it's amazing that after his death, more albums came out from him after his death than than he did while he was alive. But in one of the songs, it was the Prodigal Son Suite. And I must have listened to that song last night about three or four times. Just it was done beautifully. And the picture of what happens in that story is that this son, who was bored with life on the farm, had been hearing stories about the city and felt like he was growing, wanted to see that, goes to his, his father and basically says, Dad, there's a world out there that I want to see. I'm ready to go have it. I'm going to go give me what is mine, and I want your blessing. But if I can't have your blessing, I'm going to go anyway. And the father basically says, son, I've, I've tried my best to provide for you. This is in, in the song, I've tried my best, but what I have is yours, and yes, you can go with my blessing. And the son packs up and takes off on the road, meets someone who tells him about wild living, and he's excited about that and gets into it. He says, it took a quite a long time to go through all the money because his father gave him a lot. But then when his pockets were empty, his friends left him to rot. And after he was destitute of money, destitute of friends, then famine hits. And he realizes that he is in dire need, and he's looking for a job. a job's really hard to find, and he finally finds a job feeding pigs. He said, "I had to eat with a swine. The bread I ate like was stone. Didn't take much time before I was dreaming of home. He says, "The servants there are better fed. If I could have what my father gives them, I would truly need nothing more." So well, I decided to go home. He says he didn't take long to pack his things. He left with only what he wore. And he left hoping that the father would receive him. When he sees the father, he says, I was near home inside of the house. My father just stared, dropped opened his mouth. He ran up the road and fell to my feet and cried and cried. The boy says, Father, I've sinned. Heaven, the shame, I'm no longer worthy to wear your name. I know that my home is right where you are. So, Father... As I heard that, I I was just thinking of how unworthy I had been. My need for belonging at home and wondering what the father's response would be. The father's response, bring the robe, bring the shoes. My son who was dead, my son who was lost has found, he's returned, he's home. We're going to celebrate. folks. The church of Jesus Christ must be the place where the people of God remain open-armed to all prodigals, but that those open arms don't just stay there at the door, but that everything that happens in the house, that love continues. If you are here today and you've never known that love from Christ, can I just let you know that the Father calling you home so much so he sent someone to get you. And for those of you that know Jesus Christ, those arms of love, they haven't relaxed their grip. You are still dearly and deeply loved and by the power of the Spirit you are being transformed into lovers as Jesus himself is to you. So if we're going to have an incredible witness in our world, and we're going to, then may I call you and me to obey the new commandment of Jesus, which requires this. Number one, be loved. Be loved. Be deeply, dearly, then, love one another. Starts here. It's got to happen here. If it's going to happen out there, legit. It's got to happen here. Let me invite you to readjust your life in and to the love of Jesus. To experience his blessing and the proof to the world that we follow. For his glory.